somebody that may not have a church family to care for them. So that's very important. One other thing. Gabriel Ramirez, I want you to stand up. Look at this young man. Now, you probably didn't notice this this morning, but the entire fence around the children's playground has a brand new coat of paint. It was, it was sanded off. The old stuff was sanded off. The new stuff put on, and Gabriel is the one responsible for that. Thank you, my friend. We are so proud of you. He is, he is pursuing a, a great honor in the Boy Scouts, and this was part of his work. And so we're just so thankful for it. Proud of you, Gabriel. Lord bless you. Uh, what else do I need to do? Oh, yeah, Brenda's going to shoot me if I don't do this. How many of you want Brenda to shoot me? I knew better than to ask that question. I have here 11 invitations for single parent care day. Now, how many of you know a single parent in this area? Three. That leaves eight. Come on now. How many of you know a single parent in this area that could use some blessing this time of year? There's another one. I got all the time in the world. There's another one. Doesn't have to be female, can be male or female, either one. We just want to bless them. If you don't know what Single Parent Care Day is, it's an opportunity to just do that. We have clothing, we have purses, we have jewelry, we have everything for the single parent, and we have a brand new school bag stuffed with all of the current school supplies for their kids. So we're just going to bless them with no strings attached. We just want to tell them that we care about them. Anybody else? I have five left. Single Parent Care Day. That's not my problem. <laughs> Anybody else? Somebody else? Single Parent Care Day. Okay. I have three more. I'm expecting to see them gone by the time you leave today. Okay? We just want to bless somebody. Thank you for being here today. I see some new faces. We especially thank you for being here today. And uh, we hope that you have already experienced the presence of the Lord in our service today. We are in... Wow. Many of you know Will and Drew, our grandsons from California. This is their dad and mom. Wow. Yeah, but it also opens other pores of my body. Thank you, guys. Man, it's so good to see you. Thank you for being here. Hmm. Hebrews 5. We are in part two of our sermon series, Can You Only Imagine? And uh, we have been talking, 
we've been talking about the practical application of utilizing the empowerment, the availability, and the desire of the Holy Spirit of God to use us for His glory. How many of you want to be used by God to do something significant for the kingdom of God? He's given us everything that we need. Our, our previous sermon series talked about the, the, the empowerment. And, and this sermon series, we're talking about what it might look like if every one of us who are a part of the family of God would utilize that power that's available to us and what a difference that could make for our communities. Hebrews chapter number 5 is where I'm going to go. I read this quote some time ago and it has stuck in my heart since that time. It says, very simply, the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but rather people dying without ever knowing or living their life purpose. Think about that. Not ever knowing or living their life purpose. Now last week in part one of this sermon series, we learned that the first way to discover the purpose for which you were created is to follow Jesus into God's work in the world. Now what does that mean in practical terms? It means you can't just sit on the sidelines. You at some point in time in your life have to get off the bench and get into the game. You have to make yourselves available for your, for your neighborhood, for your community, for your church, for our world by serving. And if you serve, your life purpose will begin to emerge inside of you. Uh, example, uh, I never had been inside of a jail or a prison and never had a desire to. Had a friend who was a pastor of mine kept telling me, he says, Terry, I need somebody to take this Bible study inside of Ellsworth Correctional Facility, uh, and, and I, w I want you to do it. And I'm saying, uh, no, XE, I don't think so. That's not my thing. And he just kept, you know how they do. They just keep on. Every week I'd get a phone call, Exie'd say, I need you to do this Bible study. Well, finally, just to shut Exie up, I thought, what can it hurt one time? So I made myself available to go inside the prison, scared to death, totally, completely out of anything that even resembled a comfort zone in my life. Made myself available by serving and out of that evening, God literally changed my life in ministry. I came home. I couldn't sleep. Brenda got tired of hearing it, so she went to bed. I went to the computer, didn't know what else to do, started researching prison ministry and found one job available in the United States at, 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 a, at a prison for faith-based ministry. Anybody care to guess where it was? Ellsworth Correctional Facility. And I was hooked. And for the next 10 years, basically, of my life, God used me in prison ministry. That's, how, that's what I'm talking about. Once you serve your life purpose 
will emerge out of, out, uh, out of the inside of you because you have made yourself available to serve. Today, we're going to talk about the second key to finding God's purpose, and that is to become like Jesus. Now, I already know the answer to this question that I'm getting ready to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How many of you need to become more like Jesus? I said, how many of you need to become more like Jesus? The answer is every one of us. Every one of us. Being a follower of Jesus is not just about believing in Him. It's about the life of Jesus invading and impacting your life and mine and transforming our thoughts, our, our words, and our actions. All with the design of becoming more and more like Him day by day and week by week. Now the million dollar question, I'm sure you're already wondering, is how do you do that? Well, how do we become more like Christ? That's going to be the focus of my thoughts this morning. And to answer that question, we have to own where we are spiritually. We have to own that. As the church, the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ, you and I are supposed to be. Now, listen carefully. We are supposed to be an army of selfless servants. But how many of you know that the reality is much different than that? And that brings us to Hebrews chapter number 5. I want to share with you just the last few verses of chapter number 5 and then we'll even go into chapter number 6 for a verse or two. In verse, you know what, I had originally planned to start with verse number 12 but I'm going to start with verse number 11. It says, we have a great deal to say about this and it's difficult to explain since you have become slow to understand. Everybody say that with me. Slow to understand. Now we're where, where I'm ready to start. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of God's revelation. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature. For those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Now unfortunately our translations have a chapter break, but really there's no chapter break. We go right into verse number one of what is called chapter number six, where the writer to Hebrews says, therefore... Leaving the elementary message about the Messiah. Let us go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. Now I'm just going to stop right there. You can... You probably even should go on and read the rest of that in your own time, but I'm going to stop right there because I want to get to what I have to share with you. 
What Paul is saying to us, or I said Paul, that's not accurate. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Most people believe it was Paul. Personally, I don't, but that's another message. But the writer tells us here what he's basically telling us is something you may or may not want to hear this morning, and that is this. The church is a nursery of self-absorbed infants. How many of you just checked out? You're not going to listen to anything else I said. Well, in all too many cases, many of in the church have gotten the idea that, that church is really about us. It's all about me. A place where I can be ministered to. A place where I can get my needs met. Well, the problem is that that attitude, if it's present in you, means this. You will always remain a child in the faith. You know how I know that? A child is all about their needs. Spiritually speaking, it's like being a perpetual first grader year after year after year. Can you imagine never getting out of first grade? Now, I know some of you that probably need to take first grade over a couple of times, but for the most of us, can you, can you imagine never getting out of first grade? Uh, I thought about that as I was putting this message together a couple of weeks ago in my office. What would it be like being 62 years old, sitting at my office desk, and still in first grade. <laughs> well, first of all, I wouldn't know what to do with that big desk in my office. Uh, because as a first grader, all you really need is one book, a big chief tablet. These young people over here don't even know what a big chief tablet is. How many of you know what a big chief tablet is? Ask us, we'll tell you. All you really need is a, one book, a big chief tablet, and a box of crayons. So as I thought about that, I thought day after day, month after month, for years on end, here I come to my office, I get out my one book, and I read about Dick and Jane. Hi, Dick. Hi, Jane. Get up, Spot. Get up. Run, Spot. Run. Good dog, Spot. Silly, silly Spot. Bye, Dick. Bye, Jane. How many of you remember that? <laughs> My point is, can you imagine how quickly that would get old? I, I'm, I mean, I'm doing the same old things. I'm finger painting. I'm working on my ABCs. I'm cutting construction paper into shapes. Boring. Right? What would happen under these circumstances is that I would start going through the motions. I'd get so accustomed to it day after day that I would never leave the elementary stage of learning and being taught. Now, I said that to say this. The same is true in our spiritual walk. The same thing. 
We, we, we become content with no longer trying to grow or learn. And why is it that we do that? Because we've emotionally and spiritually unplugged ourselves from the growth process. And the result is that we don't ever gain the maturity to be able to understand the greater things of God. Things like the importance of finding one's life purpose. Now, I've never met the first grader yet that I could explain physics to. They don't have the maturity to comprehend the abstract nature of, of physics. And spiritually, we can pray, we can fast, we can, we can ask for God's purpose to be revealed to us, but we're not going to understand it, friends, until we grow up in the disciplines of the Holy Spirit. And not until you leave elementary things is God going to entrust you with this idea of finding purpose in your life. Now, most people in the church today, this is not saying anything about any one of you individually, but I'm just saying generally in the church, and I'm going to support it with statistics here in just a moment. But most people in the church today have been living on milk and many of those, not even much of that. Milk is the Word of God. Now keep that in mind. Milk is the Word of God. But studies have indicated that only 18% of Christians read their Bible on a weekly basis. 18%. 23% say that they never read the Word of God. The only Bible, then, that they're ever hearing is what they get in a worship service on Sunday. And once they hear the preacher read the Word to them, they then just sit and wait for him to tell them how and what to believe. Let me tell you something, friends. What a preacher says is not the Word of God. Did you hear that? What a preacher says is not the Word of God. Only what God has said is the Word of God. What I or any other preacher says is what God has revealed to us about His Word, and although that might and hopefully might be beneficial to everyone, it is still not God's Word. It's our words revealed. We need to know God's Word. Remember, God's Word is the milk. Now what people, most people know of the Scriptures is usually Bible stories. How many of you know any Bible stories? You know things like the story of the Good Samaritan. You know things like Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. You've probably heard of the story of David and Goliath. Hope you've heard of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again the third day. Bible stories. You've heard of Jesus performing miracles. You've heard about a heaven and a hell. But you've never gone beyond that to explore the deep truths of the Bible or to hear the God, the voice of God, speaking to you directly through the Scriptures. The result is that, and I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else, the Word of God remains just that, the Word of God. 
it never becomes the living word of God in your life and mine. This word is powerful. It has the power to change your life and mine, but only if you allow that word to come alive inside of you and, and, and speak to you. Now we read there in verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews 6 that the written word is our foundation. It's in the word that we, we discover and learn about what I call basic things. Things like sin. How many of you know what sin is? How many of you have practiced it a time or two? <laughs> we learn about sin. We learn about repentance or turning away from that sin. We learn about Jesus. We learn about this amazing thing called forgiveness. Those are all foundational things. But here's the deal, friends. We don't live, or we shouldn't live, in the foundation. The house that you live in is what's built on the foundation. The written word is just that, the foundation. And if you've never gotten beyond the written word... Spiritually speaking, you're still in elementary school. Solid food, the writer says, is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Solid food, most importantly, is to discern what the Spirit is saying to you. How many of you have ever had the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, quicken you to something that you have the ability to meet in someone else's life. That's that discernment. Having, having the ability to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking the deep things of God's Word into your life. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. He said, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that, that, that's, that's a mouthful. What it's saying is, as, as long as I remain a child in the faith, I'm not doing much more than reading about Dick and Jane. But when the Spirit comes, which the Spirit has already come, we talked about that last sermon series, right? When the Spirit comes, and most importantly, when the Spirit comes into your life and to my life, that's when He begins to speak to you and myself directly, and He can show us the purpose for which God created us, and we can begin living it out. So how do you grow to maturity? You do that through training. As you're probably already aware, I am a huge college basketball fan. Um, two weeks ago, this, excuse me, three weeks ago this coming Thursday, two weeks ago last Thursday, the National Basketball Association had its draft of, of college basketball players. Over the past three months since college basketball season ended, some of the players from my favorite team, the Kansas Jayhawks, just so you know. Some of those underclassmen players were testing the waters to 
to see if they were ready for the NBA. And they did that by attending what is called a combine. A place where they would go and all of their skills would be watched by professional coaches. And, and where it would be determined that how many, if any, of them would have the skills to go on to the next level, leaving college early and, and becoming a professional basketball player. Well, over the course of those three months, only one of the underclassmen from the Kansas Jayhawks found that he had the skills necessary to go to the next level. Two of them decided they weren't ready yet. And boy, I was happy about that because one of them seven foot tall. He's coming back. But the reason I share that with you is just as a college athlete trains to become a professional, Christians train through the practice of daily discipline. Spiritual disciplines. All leadership begins with self-leadership. What do I mean by that? Okay, here's your test for the day. Who is responsible for your spiritual growth? Not me. Uh, yeah, you, uh, I got you, I got you. Let's say it together. Who's responsible for my spiritual growth? I am. You are. Um, I've got to find a politically correct way to say this. You can't just come here on Sunday morning and leave with the expectation of hearing God's voice in your life on a regular basis. Let me say that again. You can't just come to here or anywhere for that matter on a Sunday morning to a church service and leave expecting to hear God's voice on a regular basis in your life. It's not enough. That's being content with staying in elementary school. Solid food, again, we said the word of God is the milk, right? Solid food is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it's only for those who are moving toward maturity, those who are constantly training attuning themselves to the move of the Holy Spirit of God in their lives. So what can you do to grow to maturity? Well, today, I'm going to give you five disciplines that will help you to mature, spiritually speaking. First of all, is daily devotion to God. Daily devotion to God. You probably heard the great commandment. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse number 37. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your... Oh, I said it, I didn't even say it right. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The great commandment. Devotion to God is an offering. And the greatest offering we have to give back to God is who we are. Now, let me tell you how it works for me, and maybe it'll help you. I practice devotion through personal Bible study, through meditation, through prayer, through journaling. Uh, the most important part, discipline, if you will, of my day is being present in the presence of God. <laughs> that may not make a lick of sense to you, but here's what I'm saying. 
The presence of God is available, right? To experience the presence of God, you have to be present in the presence of God. So that's my goal. Every day when I come to the office, the most important discipline of my day is being present to the presence of God. That's where you, for example, listen to God through his word. You pray for what, he, what God has for you each and every day. I, I, I pray about the future. And that's why every day should start with listening to God. Now perhaps you were confused by me saying that I pray because many of us think that praying to God is taking to him our latest laundry list of needs. Well, if prayer is communication, and it is, in order for it to be communication, the conversation has to go both ways. You talking to God, and even more importantly, God talking to you. And you listening to what the Spirit of God has to say to you. I I look at it this way. I have to challenge every day my worldview against the worldview of Jesus. Let me explain that to you. What does it mean? What does it look like? Simply this. I have to discipline myself to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. In practical terms, it means, and I'm, don't, don't get me wrong, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm still working, okay? But in practical terms, it means that I prioritize reading and studying the Word rather than reading and replying to all of my emails, which average anywhere from 30 to 60 every day, every morning. It means that I prioritize reading and studying the Word ahead of checking social media to see what you folks are having for lunch. (laughs) Those may be things that I would like to do. That's my worldview. The things that I want to do. I have to prioritize Jesus' worldview. Now, I, I hate to disappoint either any of you, but neither Jesus nor I care about what you had for breakfast this morning. Neither Jesus nor I care about how your garden's doing. And I can waste hours of time scrolling down Facebook to see what each and every one of you are up to. But if I do that, I'm not going to grow spiritually. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with social media. There's a lot right with social media. Sometimes I'd like to throw my computer off a bridge or my phone, but it has its positive things. But you have to prioritize the things that are important to God rather than the things that are important to you. If I discipline myself to prioritize Jesus' worldview, it will generate inside of me a passionate life focus and a clear understanding of God's purpose for my life and most importantly, the move of the Spirit for that day 
in my life. That's hugely important. Second uh, discipline is that of being a lifelong learner. There's an old saying, it says, if you're not growing, you're dying. We're here to grow. To develop and grow a muscle, one has to stretch that muscle. And to do, you do that by lifting weights. To develop and to grow your mind, you need to stretch it. And you do that by lifting new ideas. That is the practice of lifelong learning. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you're going to be a part of, if you're going to enter, actually, the kingdom of God, you have to maintain the attitude of a little child. How many of you have ever grown weary hearing one of your children, or for me, my grandchildren, asking the question, why? I need Kendall here this morning, my granddaughter from Booker. She'll come to our house. She'll say, Grandpa, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to mow. Why? Because the grass is getting big. Why? Because I haven't mowed it for a while. Why? She's got it down. Here's the reason why I tell you that. To become like children... It must include that we continually strive to learn new things about God. To learn new things about ourselves. To learn new things about the world that we live in. Because, friends, we serve a God of new things. God is looking for people right now with flexible minds that he can put, hit, put an idea into that mind who will let that idea be manifested in a physical realm. In other words... God wants to share it, put a need on your heart. Because he knows that you have the ability. He has given you the ability to meet that need for a certain person. And he's, he's going to, at some point in your day or in your week or in the soon to come, he's going to have you come in contact with that person. And that person's going to tell you what they have need of. And voila! God has placed you there for that purpose. For that specific time. And friends, let me tell you how important that is, eternally speaking. That may be the one and only opportunity that person will ever have to see Jesus work through someone else's life. So if you don't step up to the plate, if you don't get off the bench and get into the game, that person's need doesn't get met. And that's the specific reason that God put you here. Guess what? When you stand before Jesus, He's going to say, uh, you remember when... Hmm. That puts it in a whole different light, doesn't it? When I'm stretching my mind, I'm always looking forward to the next new thing. Lifelong learning is composed of three daily practices. Real quickly, here they are. Reading, observing, and doing. Reading, observing, and doing. Every one of us in this room should always be reading something. And I'm not talking about the latest Harlequin series or ESPN magazine. I'm talking about something that will stretch you. 
Something that will sink into your spirit. Something that you can observe. Hearing of of people who have been pioneers in the things that they are doing. Drawing from their experience because they're older and wiser and more mature spiritually. People who are just a little bit ahead of you, spiritually speaking. People People who are offering an honorable offering to God of themselves. Learn from them. Find a means to hang around those people. Take them to lunch. Pick their brain. Observe how they live. And that brings us to the last part. Finally, every one of us in this room should be doing. We learn best through doing. Don't stay on the sidelines. Don't stay in the same old rut or routine of life. Continually try new things and learn from them. And that brings me to the third discipline. Invest in key relationships. You and I are created for relationships. We experience life through relationships. Typically, we always expect our relationships to remain the same. When, and that leads us to taking relationships for granted. And, and we let life get away in the process. And in the end, in doing that, we end up missing the experience of deep, intimate relationships. And at the end of the day, friends, people are what's really important. People. Life isn't about stuff. It's not about how much you can accumulate or even what you can achieve. It's about people. You can replace stuff. You can't replace people. You don't ever want to get to a point after someone is gone and have to ask yourself the question, would I have done anything differently to make that relationship better than what it was? Don't ever get there. Don't ever let that happen. Ask yourself, am I spending enough time with key relationships in my life? Are they growing or are they stagnant? Am I investing in them? How do you invest in relationships? Here it is. You have to create margin in your life. Now let me explain that to you. How many of you have ever taken a piece of of notebook paper? And what does notebook paper have on each side? It has two lines going down the entire length of the page. That's called the margin. You write in the center part, but the two blank spaces on the edge are margin. As long as we don't fill up those spaces, so to speak, in the margins of our lives with other things, we'll have time for relationships. And relationships are developed there. You have to, you have to create margin in your life. Now I know that each one of us here this morning is responsible for our own schedule and the, how we order our days. If I don't prioritize how I spend my time, if I don't prioritize my circumstances, other people will. Have you noticed that? If I don't create the boundaries, other people are going to create my boundaries for me. I have to prioritize by creating and leaving margin for relationships, and that's God-honoring. You know what? Brenda's here to verify what I'm getting ready to tell you. 
Years ago, when I was a youth pastor in my home church, church was the focus of our lives. Now, we lived 30 miles from church, so we had to drive 30 miles on Sunday morning. We drove home 30 miles. Then we came back for Sunday evening. They did hell at church back then on Sunday evenings. We drive 30 miles back and 30 miles home that evening. And then Monday night was our youth service. Me being the youth pastor, I drive 30 miles into youth service, 30 miles home. Wednesday evening Bible study, 30 miles in, 30 miles home. Then they assigned me this thing called choir director. Choir practice was on Thursday. 30 miles in, 30 miles home. When our girls got big enough to start being involved in activities in school, Why I'd been taught, you prioritize church. And so, to their neglect, I carried out what I call the busyness of church. Busyness came before time with me and Brenda. I'm not too good to tell you this, that there was a period in Brenda and my marriage where things weren't going so well. And we had to get help for our marriage. And one of the things that we were told was, are you guys still dating? Dating? We've been married for eight years. What? He says, no. Are you still dating? Oh, well, that sounds really good, but we don't have time. Oops. That's a relationship that needs priority. Oh yeah, it's Jesus first. It's Jesus first. But that doesn't mean church busyness goes along with Jesus. Did you hear me? Let me tell you what church busyness did for me. It got me burned out doing so many things in the busyness of the church. I couldn't keep any irons hot. I was so spread out. I couldn't focus on any one area because I had too many responsibilities. And you know what happened? Rather than being white hot for the things that I was doing, I was burnt out because of the things that I was doing. Not being able to be effective in any of them. The fourth discipline, I've said enough about that, I've made you mad enough. The fourth discipline is visioning for the future. Contrary to what many people believe, Life is not about you. It's not about making a living. It's not seeking your happiness, your comfort. It's about doing what God wants you to do with your life in His purposes. The essence of faith is vision. You're already in Hebrews. Go over just a couple of chapters with me, a couple of pages if you have your Bibles, to Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse number 1, where the first verse says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, The proof of what is not seen. Right? The essence of faith is vision. A vision for the future. Where we are going. Vision is a promising picture of what God has designed as a preferred future for your life. Vision will create momentum in your life. It will pull you forward and create energy, bigger actions, and enable you to take greater risks for the kingdom of God. Back to my prison story. Let me tell you what. You talk about a duck out of water. When I heard those prison gates 
clank shut behind me. And that prison guard say, hey, your Bible study is up at the north end of the prison yard. Okay. Well, how do I get to the north end of the prison yard? You walk. But it's dark out. And there are murderers. I mean, I didn't tell him this. But I'm thinking it. There are murderers. There are drug addicts. There are inmates and I got to walk to the north end of the yard in the dark by myself when I don't even want to be here (laughs) God's so cool that was a risk and it's a risk that I rejoice that I took every day of my life since it happened because I got to invest in the lives of men who had never had anyone give them value of any kind in any way. And I saw their lives change, all as a result of me making myself available, even though it was risky. Uh, Vision is about formulating a life picture, and one way to do that is by starting with the end in mind. What do you think that God wants you to be remembered for? When, when, when your life is over, what do you think God wants you to be remembered for? Have you ever thought about what you want your kids to engrave on your tombstone? I have. I want my kids to engrave on my tombstone, this was a man of God. And I don't want them to have to lie about it. This is a man of God. A man who prioritized God above everything else in life. And then I want to stand before Jesus with countless testimonies of his grace standing in line behind me. People whom I've had the opportunity to sow into their lives the goodness of Jesus. And I want to hear Jesus say, Well done, Terry. That's it. Terry, you lived out your purpose that I created you for. Well, you didn't live it out entirely, but you did a fairly good job. I'll take that. I got to move to close. The last and fifth discipline, (laughs) you're going to love this one, is eating and exercise for life. (laughs) Boy, I almost choke on that one as I say it. This is the one that I fall far short of. But I have to also add to that that it's now one that I'm trying to focus more and more on. Why? Because of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19. There Paul says this, Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary? A sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And then he says, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We have to understand, friends, that our body is not only the dwelling place of God, but it is also the instrument through which God's work gets done. uh, There have been times when I, and I'm guessing probably some of you, have told myself, And you've told yourself, diet and exercise are an option. 
Come on, don't leave me out on this limb by myself. I, I, I tell God, that's my choice. Not according to what Paul said. I was bought with a price. A great price. The life and death of Jesus Christ on a cross. Therefore, he owns my body. Right? He owns my body. <laughs> it's not up to me what to do with my body. So we have to honor God with our bodies. How does this look in practical terms? Let me tell you real quickly. Because I know you're wondering, Pastor, why are you laying this on us? Why, why is the health of our body so important to God? Well, I'm glad you asked because the answer is that our health is important so that we can do His work. Back in 2005, Brenda and I were part of a mission trip to the Czech Republic where we were helping with the renovation of a teen, what was to be a teen challenge center, ministering to then what was the largest percentage per capita of heroin addicts in the world, the Czech Republic. Uh, my specific job for that trip was to mix the cement that was going to replace the dirt floors of the Teen Challenge Center. Part of that was putting, obviously, sand into the cement mixer, uh, cement into to the cement mixer, and then wheelbarrowing it to the people who were smoothing out the floors once the cement got there. Okay, now here's the deal. We had 10 to 15 people working in the building. My job was to keep them busy with fresh cement. And it was hot and it was hard work. There was a big pile of sand that I shoveled into that cement mixer and there were sacks of cement that I obviously had to lift and pour into the mixer. And when the cement was mixed, I then had to pour it into a wheelbarrow and take it to one of several buildings that they were working in, some of which were 100 to 150 yards away, pushing a wheelbarrow over rough terrain. Now here's the, here's the rest of the story. We had as a group a fixed number of days in which to get the work that we got, went there to do done. After the first day or two, not only me, but several of us were exhausted. I mean, I was spent. On about the third day, when I was mixing cement for that day, one of the young adults in our group asked me how old I was. And I told him, 49. Which then all of a sudden brought to my attention that I was the second oldest person in our group. Second oldest person in the group doing what was probably the hardest work in the group. And this young adult, he'd been spending the week cleaning out a barn with a pitchfork. So I took the opportunity to take him away from what he'd been doing and put him to work shoveling sand into the cement mixer. My job became much less strenuous and we got more done faster. So here's my point. For me to think that I could go from sitting on my backside in my pastor's office 
with very little exercise, go all the way across the Atlantic Ocean and do the work that I had volunteered myself to do was laughable. What a joke. Who am I kidding? The reality was I had not been taking care of my body to the degree that I needed to be in shape to do that work. In fact, I would say probably, maybe, if I'm generous to me, 60% capable of doing what I needed to do for the kingdom. I mean, think about it. What a shame. Flying to a foreign country stricken with poverty and, and mired in, in addiction and a dilapidated building to give them a helping hand. And here I wasn't physically able to give 100% of my ability to do what God needed done. Are you with me? Worship team, would you come? In closing, let me just say that training in these disciplines that I've just shared with you is a means of grace and spiritual growth. If you have seat belts on those chairs, you might want to fasten them here for just a minute. If all you're doing coming here on Sunday morning is to get fed spiritually so that you can continue to linger on until Jesus takes you home, and that's the extent of your spiritual discipline, you're not getting the nourishment that you need to grow up. God created each of us for a purpose. And as I said to begin this message, the greatest tragedy is not going to be your death. The greatest tragedy will be your dying and having lived below the purpose and maybe add the privilege, the privilege for which God created you to live out. When I say the term privilege, I mean that you are going to miss out on the blessing that God gives to people who live out the purpose for which he created them to live. It's a privilege. So what's my message in a nutshell? Start training. Training is the fruit of disciplined maturity. Through constant discipline training, you will grow spiritually and God will expand the scope of your influence in the world and in his world quoted it to you last Sunday I'll quote it again today John chapter 14 verse number 12 Jesus said the one who believes in me and the things that I do will do even greater works than these because I'm going to my father and when Jesus went to his father what he did was this 10 days later he sent his Holy Spirit to empower, to equip, to fill us with the ability to do great things. God has a plan. He has a plan for you. I was going to ask if you're still here living and breathing today, but I'm not sure some of you are. So <laughs> if you're still here and breathing today, I can tell you this. God's still got a purpose for you. He's still got a plan for your life.
Every time I say that statement, I think back to that 92-year-old grandma at that second church that we pastored in Texas. (laughs) Grandma Heffley was her name. And she came to me one Sunday after church and she said, Pastor Terry, you know that my husband and I, we planted this church 52 years ago. We were the first pastors. And now he's gone and I'm so old I can't do anything but pray. And I said, Grandma, you, you, you pray. That's the most important thing that we need. And then she said, oh, 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 wait a minute. I can make blueberry cobblers. And I said, why are you telling me that, Grandma? And she says, well, I've just been thinking, you know, that all of these visitors that are coming to church, if I'd make them a blueberry cobbler, you could deliver it to them. So over the course of the next four years, four years, well, actually three and a half because she passed away about six months before we left that church. I'd call her after church on Sunday morning and I'd say, Grandma, I need one or I need two or I need three blueberry cobblers. She'd go, Pastor, I'm just so busy. I'll get to them just as soon as I can, but I promise you, I'll I'll get to them just as soon as possible. Three o'clock in the afternoon, in the middle of my nap, Grandma calls and says, I have those cobblers ready. Are you going to come get them? We delivered those blueberry cobblers to people who visited our church. We grew the church through the ministry of blueberry cobblers. Guests may not like your preaching. They may not like the music, but they all like blueberry cobbler. And they know where it came from. So can you only imagine making yourself available? God's not concerned about your ability concerned about your availability can you only imagine making yourself available and training for where God wants to take you in the world can you only imagine fulfilling what God wants you to accomplish in his world in his kingdom can you only imagine Jesus radically invading your life so that you'll begin to resemble Him. Stand with me, please.